Welcome back to the Electrify podcast, brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo, North America's largest EV festival coming to a major city near you. Welcome back to the Electrify Expo podcast, brought to you by the creators of the Electrify Expo. Hi, welcome back to the Electrify Expo podcast. I am here as ever with Matt Teske, and today we are going to be talking about uh, some myths, common myths and questions about electric cars. And uh, Matt, how was your trip to D.C.? Myths. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We're already Uh, starting off strong. It's good to have you back, buddy. Uh, DC, man, I swear to God, it's just, it's such a constant in my life now. Is it not? Well, you know, you're uh, wheeling and dealing with the uh, high level policymakers there. I think, uh, I think that's good for them. Is that, but the problem is every time I do anything, I could leave to go to the bathroom and you guys think I went to DC and it's like, well, let's just, you know, we'll call them later. We'll call them later. We just, we'll just do the let's episode just, without them. Yeah, we'll, record, we'll record this stuffed animal. It'll be great. Same personality, better looking. So. <laughs> That's true. But uh, so in any event, things that are not true, there's a lot of myths out there circulating about electric cars. And, you know, we are nothing if not a kind of a show about electric cars. Right. So I figure at some point we should address these things. And uh, since we were specifically told to address them by the promoters of the electrify expo i think we should uh do as we're told don't you think oh uh, that seems like you know, but it wasn't like it was a mandate from on high it was one of those things that are just like you know what you guys haven't talked about yet yeah it was, it like, was a mandate from off to the side yeah but yeah, at the same at the same time it's 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 one of those things of like oh that is kind of pertinent we've we've talked tons and tons about what the industry is doing and and things that are happening cars that are coming new products coming out for two-wheel mobility and all of that but there's still that thing that just kind of always is in the background. It's like that elephant in the room of like, people still have these questions that need to be answered. And there's a lot of easy answers for them. So. There, are, there are a lot of easy answers. So we'll, we'll kind of run down some of the most basic ones. And you hear a lot of this stuff from, you know, people who oftentimes they're working on decent information, but it's like 15, 20 years old, right? So like the first one that I get all the time is electric cars are still dirty, right? Because even though you're now running on electricity instead of uh, oil or gas, right? The, the power station is still running on coal or running on natural gas or whatever it is and producing the same amount of emissions as before. Um, and I think that that might've been true like in the late nineties, early two thousands, but that we've come a long way in the last 15 years. Uh, I mean, do you have anything you want to kind of speak to that? Any anytime I ever see on social media the question that pops up about, you know, or the comment of, oh yeah, but they're still running on dirty energy. There's a really awesome study that has been done now countless times by the Union of Concerned Scientists, where they actually have run all the data and they can show you what your gas car would need to get for miles per gallon to be as clean as an electric car in your state, taking into consideration things like how do you get your electricity? And it's it's comical. I think I think the lowest you know projected MPG rating for a gas car to be equivalent to the cleanliness of an electric car is like 50 miles per gallon or something in like Pennsylvania and West Virginia, you know. And so the the truth is it's it's just one of those things that's difficult to grasp. And there's a lot of you know comments. And to your point, like people have understood energy to be you know not produced in the cleanest way for years, but it's a combination of factors. We're talking about once you get the electricity in the car, how clean is it? It's pretty clean. So pretty clean. Yeah. So it, by pretty clean, it's like, well, there are zero emissions. But at the end of the day, how did you produce that electricity? The cool thing is, is with gas and oil, there's only one way to make it. You know, that's just kind of it. Burning it. Yeah. 
burning it. But with electricity, you can create it in countless ways that are very, very clean. And so the mix of that, people always talk about the mix of the energy production. And we just got to figure out a right way to communicate it so it's sexy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's talk about the wrong way to communicate it, which is with graphs and math and numbers, right? You right. know, I have a graph here. Uh, we have it up on the website as well. We can link to it in the comments. But it's from the EIA, the U.S. Energy Information Administration. And this is interesting because it was put out not by Biden's administration. It was put out by Trump's administration in 2020. Yep. yep. And yep. that shows that from 2015, from 2005 to 2020, so 15 years, we're actually producing more electricity than we were before. And we're burning about a third of the fossil fuels that we used to be burning. So even if you just kind of accept like, yeah, we're going to be making, we need more electricity. That's going to be more power and more emissions. It's not true. We're finding with renewables, with natural gas, with uh, you know other kind of uh, nuclear options that we are finding that we are able to produce more energy with fewer emissions. And the part of this graph that's growing the most is obviously the renewables, right? I mean, that is a huge percentage of what we're seeing now. Well, the prices have come down so dramatically for batteries, for solar, for wind, and there's more hydro installations that have been, that have been developed out, even tidal energy that could be used now. So uh, this is where we're at a, a stage of energy scientific advancement where we're going to really kind of put into practice a lot of things we've been talking about for decades. It's like going to Tomorrowland back in 1960 of like, maybe one day we'll get there. Well, yes. Yes. We're, we're kind of getting there. We have the ability to see some of this stuff actually play out in the way that we've projected. So, um, but it's a changing of the guard. Um, it is change. And some people, you know, just default to what they've known for a long time. And yeah. this really gets to a big part of why the Electrify Expo exists, why our podcast exists, is we're talking about these things in a way that people can get really good factual information, but we got to find a way to make it approachable. And that's a big part yeah. of it. Well, and let's talk about things that are not approachable. I mean, when was the last time you ever saw a uh, you know windmill light the Gulf of Mexico on fire, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's just how often you, you see that, uh, what the, the meme that floats around of, oh, look, this is a solar spill. And it's a a beautiful sunny day, you know, and and it's, and that's, and that's the part where we're, it's interesting though, because like oil and gas, you know, that's, that's something that we've just seen and heard and understood for a long time. These other things that are out there, whether it's solar or wind or hydro, we see those things as different elements, right? It's like, if it's windy, it just messes up my hair. It doesn't make my, it doesn't power anything, right? It's like, no, actually in truth, there's great ways to leverage that stuff. So how do we tell stories about how people can understand that better? Yeah. And there's nothing new to like harnessing the power of wind. Right. I mean, that's how we all, you know, everybody got from Europe to the U S and that's how everybody, you know, it was called a windmill because it was wind that powered a mill. Right. So, I mean, all that stuff is, uh, is real stuff and it's not like it's new. It's just being put into a context that we've never seen before. Now I want to move on to myth number two. And this one, I, I have, uh, I I'm just ready to hear you talk about it, buddy. Cause it said myth number two is electric vehicles are not good for long journeys. And you'll, you'll hear this even from people who are EV advocates. They just kind of dismiss the whole thing. They say, Oh, you know, you buy an EV around town and when you need to go on a road trip, you rent a car and didn't, I mean, there's somebody here that did a 4,400 mile road trip in about eight days. Right. Uh, are you referring to me? Yeah, <laughs> I am referring to you. I think it was, yeah. uh, for those of you listening, it was about two, three weeks ago, uh, maybe seven, eight months ago, by the time Chris edits this, but it was uh, two or three, <laughs> two or three weeks ago, uh, Matt is in Portland, Oregon, and he hopped in his Tesla and he drove 
pure electric fuel all the way from Portland uh, to my neck of the woods to Chicago, hung out with me for a few days and then drove on back. And it wasn't like you were driving through, you know, Southern California where we expect there to be charging. You were like in Montana, you were up in the Badlands and there was no shortage of charging. Well, and that's, and again, we're talking about how do people visualize how to use these cars and it's not about the car. It's about how they trust how to make it go again and again with the fuel. And so the, the exercise was really to prove and show that, this technology is, is here today. And the beauty of it is, is, you know, brands like Tesla have been on the forefront of that, but there's infrastructure for all of those other brands out there as well. Whether we're talking about the VW ID4, the Mustang Mach-E, Porsche Taycan, uh, the new Hyundai Ioniq 5 coming out, the Kia EV6, all these vehicles can take advantage of this infrastructure where you could effectively drive almost anywhere. It's still a yes. little bit behind some of the Tesla infrastructure, but at the end of the day, this is something that people need to understand how to visualize in their life. And so I, I did this as a way of just saying, you know what, I know I can do it. And I did it with, I did it with full confidence. And it's, it's fun to help other people visualize it in the same way. That's why we developed Chargeway. It helps you visualize that for any car you select, when, whether you're choosing any brand. And that's, again, a big part of the question of how do you road trip with these things? Well, if you know exactly where you got to stop and how long you got to wait, people can do that with confidence with any brand of car they choose. Yeah, there was an article recently about... Uh someone who bought a mock E and they were trying to do a road trip and they almost didn't make it. And it was, it struck me as, as kind of laughable in two ways, because number one, they didn't plan out their trip as far as where they were going to charge. They kind of got to like a quarter tank and then just started poking around on the app. So number one, it kind of shows the shortcoming of some of the apps that are out there that are, you know, not intuitive in the way that I think Chargeway is, but it also speaks to this idea of like, you know, you have to be a little bit more aware, right? And I don't think that's a dig on EVs. It's just, you have to kind of plan out the trip beforehand. And that's where, you know, I think not only Chargeway, but I think even if you're in a conventional car and you're planning your road trip on Google Maps, right? You don't have to say, well, I'm going to head, you know, I'm going to head West on I-10 and eventually I'll get to California. It's, you know, you want to know where the construction is. You want to know what routes to avoid. You want to know where the nice places to stop are. You don't just kind of figure it out as you go. And uh, this was really one of those cases of kind of poor planning. And then I, I felt like they kind of hyped it up and played it as a clickbait yeah, kind of thing. It was, yeah, it was definitely kind of that way. I think in fairness, and I've, I've again, you've, you've done a lot of, you know, automotive journalism in your career and a lot of auto journalists, they, you know, again, they just take the vehicle at face value. They get in and they're, and they're talking about the car. That's what they're going to write about. That's yeah. what their mindset's about. And then the whole thing about the other product, this new fuel and how to use it, it becomes a part of their experience basically after the fact. They can just kind of go, oh, yeah. And again, in fairness, people are going to make assumptions based on what they know. So if they just feel like they can get in and drive and I'll just start poking around and looking for a charging station. But there's some details there you're going to want to know in advance so you can have a good experience or a great experience as opposed to a one where you go, oh, I, I got nervous and I didn't know what to do. And then I wrote about it. And how many thousands or millions of people read an article? It's that's the problem. We have an yeah. educational component that's that's still lacking there. So I, I think we're going to have that for a while, though, and that's okay because the people that know are going to have a better experience, and the people that don't know, uh, you know, they're going to be but, behind. But the point is, you can take EVs on long journeys right now, and there's countless there's countless ways to do it. Again, um, the yeah, and it doesn't matter whether it's the Ford or the Volkswagen or the Tesla. I mean, you're you're going to get to where you need to go. Yeah, there's, I mean, another gentleman on Twitter, he just did an entire road trip in his ID4 from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Northwest back to the East Coast. 
And everybody that watched it was kind of like, well, yeah, now he cataloged his journey along the way in social media. And he talked about things that where he might've run into like an issue or a question that he had along the way. But the, the bottom line is compared to five years ago, electric fuel has arrived. I mean, I yes. always love, I always love saying it that way. And so how you help people understand how to use it is huge. And again, it's, it's readily available to do long trips already. So, so let's talk about myth number three. So myth number three kind of plays right into this, right? And that's that there's not enough public charging stations, but you said it very well. I mean, we're not looking at five years ago. I remember it was like 2017 at Thanksgiving. There was that YouTube video that went viral of all the Teslas waiting at the one supercharger. Oh, yeah, right. But I mean, that was years ago and the infrastructure is I mean, literally orders of magnitude and, and for everybody listening, that's like, there's another zero on it. There's a <laughs> lot more. That's, you know, I, I know my audience. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, it's myth three. It's myth three. three. There's three. a lot of zeros on that. You know, and I think not only are there a lot more charging stations than there used to be, the cars are that much better. They get better range. They charge more quickly. But I think people are now starting to understand that if you have a 110 or a 220 outlet, you can charge your car. Like yeah. if, if there is electricity there, you can charge your car. It may not be that 20 minute ultra fast charge, but you know, if you're staying somewhere overnight, you'll wake up and have gas in the tank. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's the idea of, you know, constantly running out of fuel. What has that meant for a century? That means if you're in the middle of nowhere and you're not a fuel, you're toast. You got to get a can and bring it to you wherever the heck you might be. But it's almost like there needs to be an ad produced where, you know, there's a single light bulb on a highway in the middle of nowhere at, at somewhere guy plugs right? into it yeah right? and there's a plug and the guy's like well i'm not i mean again in the worst case scenario it's like the other guy has to walk you know 30 miles to the nearest town this guy just kind of hooks up hangs out for you know again that's a slow trickle charge but it's still it's, it's better than having zip and i think that's part of zip yeah yeah that's that's the the education right there is there are different ways to fill up and so when you envision where is that electric fuel safety net as we refer to when we talk to people about chargeway and how it visualizes things is depending on the car you choose, you got to know where you can go. But to your point, if you have a house with a garage or driveway, your, your fill-up station is sitting there in your garage or in your driveway waiting for you every night. And you fill up almost exclusively at home, but you just, you want to know you can trust it away from home too. And that's that electric fuel visibility. So. Yeah. I was actually talking to a, a mutual friend of ours over at uh, Austin Energy. And those guys do a great job in outreach. They do a really good stuff. And actually, they're going to be at our Austin live show. So that'll be cool. Yeah. But one thing that they had an idea of and they ran it by me, I thought it was great, is they weren't talking about an activation where they had like a mock up of a garage. Mm-hmm. And they had an EV there and it just had a standard wall outlet. Then it had the dryer socket. Then it had the in-home charger where you could have people just go, you plug it in here. Or you yep. plug it in here, or yeah. you plug it in here. Which one do you have at your house? That's yep. the one you'd use. And it was just such a natural fit to everything that we've been doing, you know, not only with the show, but with Chargeway as well, that it seemed like a really kind of clever way to drive that point home to everybody who saw it. Like you have electric fuel in your house yeah. right now. You're I running think- your lamps, you're running your computer, you're running your toaster on it. And yeah. this is just one more thing to plug in. Well, and that's the, that's the catch, right. Is, is, you know, like the old school, you know, Saturn, you know, EV one ad where they had like the appliances all go running out and look at the car and say, yay, you're here. I think that, I mean, that's, it's, it's an iconic ad for those who've been in the EV space for a long time. And I think that for those who were passionate about it, it was exciting to see, but I think that's where it kind of missed the mark too with the general public, because most people that buy cars, especially in America, 
a car is not an appliance. It's, it's, it's an extension of who you are. So to degrade it that way, I think for some people was kind of a little bit of a turnoff. And I think that the notion of, we always hear the phrase in the EV industry, oh, we got to get more butts in seats, butts in seats. That's going to get people to buy more EVs. But I think to your point about Austin Energy and their, what their thought was on that display is, no, you need, you need to get hands-on connectors, hands-on yes. connectors. That will help people understand how to use this new fuel related to that new car that runs on it. So I, I think it's a really smart idea. And um, yeah, again, there's a lot of great utilities like, like Austin Energy and others that are understanding the role they play and how they can help tell the story better to their customers. And in turn, that helps the auto sector. So yeah, exactly right. Uh, moving on to the next source. I really like this one. So this one's called uh, <laughs> The Grid Cannot Support an Increase in Electric Vehicle Charging. Ah, the grid. The grid. Um, a lot of people who ask you that, they can't really explain the grid. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed that particular uh, shortcoming. Yeah. But um, the, the one that I really like is that there's a study out there and I've got you know the source here and uh, it's called, it's from BNEF. So it's basically Bloomberg News. Um, so, you know, they're, they're very trusted kind of source, right? They're a business news. They're not, uh, particularly political one way or the other, but one of the nice things that they came up with is, you know, right now we're looking at about a total market of, you know, a total market share of right around one and a half percent are EVs, right? We're about 3% of global sales this year. And then we're moving that up to by 2030, we want to be, you know, 40% of, all vehicle sales, which means that we're going to be about 15 to 20% of the total market. Um, Are you getting this class? There's a lot of percentages here. I, you know, I just like to run through the percentages because I I think like percentages are like fractions. People use them, but don't really understand them. Aren't percentages the other option other than fractions? They might be. I mean, I'm no mathematician. <laughs> I'm no mathologist, but I think that sounds right. But if you really look at that, and what does that mean? That means that for the current grid, the current grid can support 10 times the number of electric cars that are already out there. And we are actively working to improve the grid. I mean, I think it was just yesterday that they passed a trillion dollars in uh, infrastructure spending, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, 50 billion of that is for the military pork and nonsense. And a whole bunch of that was about <laughs> making sure nobody made money on Dogecoin. But at the end of the day, <laughs> we are in fact improving the grid and making it easier to plug in electric cars. Like this is happening. It's not, you know, we're not going to triple the amount of electric cars and then let the grid decay for another 15 years. Like that's, that's nonsense, right? Well, it's, it's, again, this is uh, to me, this is about electric fuel education and energy education Yes, yes. is every single home that's hooked up to the grid in America is constantly using electric fuel constantly. We're talking air conditioning, your dryer, your fridge, you name it, everything. And so the notion of going, taking your car and plugging it in, it's all about how much of that are you using? And when you plug it at home, you're not using this massive amount of electricity all at once. You're using a, like a small amount that just fills you up overnight. And it's a very slow progression of the fill up, but it's convenient. And so the notion that this is going to all of a sudden crash the existing grid, it's like, well, wait a minute. If you literally plug your car into a wall outlet, it's a long time to fill it up, but the amount of draw and how much electricity you're using is equivalent to almost any other thing you would plug in at your house. And so it's, it's really low. So we're not, if every single house all of a sudden was plugging in an electric car and each one had a, you know, a super high powered fast charging station, sure. The grid would go ah, and freak out, 
But that's not what we're talking about here. Yeah. And again, this all comes down to education of energy and how you understand how it works. Exactly right. So let's look at the next one. EVs are too expensive. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but everything's too expensive to me. Um, <laughs> just everything. I mean, I went to the McDonald's the other day and they, I was like looking at the dollar menu and the dollar menu is now two and three dollars. And I was like, what the hell happened? Well, they still but, call it the dollar menu, but it doesn't like <laughs> denote like how many dollars, right? Right. It's not two ninety nine. It's three dollars. Yeah. Thanks, buddies. So, but I, I thought this was really interesting. You know, I, I looked this up. The average transaction price of a new car in the United States. Now, this is the actual amount of money that someone spent to buy a car was $40,107. Yep. And yep. that's that's the average. That's That's not the median. That's not like the halfway point between the expensive and the cheap one. That's like 40 grand is what people are paying. And if you look at like, there are $60,000 Hyundais right now. Well, and that's, again, we have this issue of people that are understanding what they've accepted, what they've known forever, right? Like I I have to buy a car. I have to buy gas. And so we also have the issue of EVs have this, you know, a little bit of a, a taste because of brands like Tesla and others that have been around for a while that kind of set the stage of, well, that's an expensive toy. I, I could never get that high-end expensive thing. But this, again, comes down to what, what do they know they're shopping for? I mean, the Nissan Leaf just became the cheapest EV you can buy, and it has over 200 miles of range. And this is a vehicle that, again, is probably you know, on, it's getting phased out for some new products coming from Nissan, but it's one of the original EVs, and everyone that owns one loves it. Yeah. And, and, and these cars are you know, now selling for around $30,000. So and that, yeah, and that's before you get into the incentives and everything else. Yeah. So that's, that's a twenty thousand or a, you know twenty five thousand dollar car. Well, yeah, and and that, and this is where we still have this issue of what, how do we help consumers understand what they're shopping for and how to shop for it? But yeah. you know, this is there is there's a lot that has to be done for infrastructure and bringing these EVs to market. But a lot of these myths we're talking about, as near as I can tell, it comes down to clear communication and education of yeah. with the public and not educating for like doing a PSA. But this is where we need to have some really good advertising and promotions that get people excited and, and, and positively interested in these products because they see how it fits in their life. And there's a huge opportunity there for the right storytellers to step in to do that. So. I, I think you're absolutely right about that. And I, I think you know, the common thing that we see in all these myths, uh, and, and this is just my opinion, I, I, it's not only the opportunity, but you're talking about things that are out of date. I had someone mention yeah. to me the other day, um, and this is someone who's in the automotive industry. They said, well, we still don't know how long these batteries are going to last and how they're going to hold up. And I said, well, if you had a car from 1998, would you say that that car had been around a long time? He was like, well, yeah. And I was like, the Prius came out in 1998, actually came out in 97 as a 98 model. So like, we know how long some of these batteries last. You know, we, we've seen Tesla's hit 300 and 400,000 miles. There's yep. a, a, you know, a, a my local Nissan store, I'm good friends with the GM and the service guys there, um, you know, from, from honestly, my drag racing days, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I talked to those guys and they talked to me about Leafs and stuff. Cause they know that I'm in this space now. And they had a guy that just crossed 200,000 miles on his leaf. And that's and the thing so is, is it's not like oh, these yeah. things don't, you know, it's not like they don't hold up. Yeah. Well, again, the beauty of it is again, the battery where battery technology has gotten to, 
is it's it's just really good. <laughs> it's and, really good. And and yeah. it's and what's funny is we're at like the beginning of where battery technology is going. You have we, even with existing batteries today, you can drive for 300 miles on a charge. You can fast charge in about 20 minutes and get back on the road. That exists right now. Yeah, and, that's right. And you know, now. traditional automakers spent very little on electric car advertising. They spent very little on advertising electric cars. Tesla spent nothing at all. So mm. there was no inf the in misinformation just came to be, you know, the fact. You're saying there unquote. was an information vacuum and the exactly. people that stepped up to fill that gap were not necessarily the best informed or best qualified or had the, or had the best intentions, you know, necessarily. Or right. Right. You know, car too, dealers right? are a good example. They want, they don't want necessarily like electric cars because it means less servicing. All right. It means less people coming back to the showroom, you know, because well, let's again, talk like about that myth. Let's right, talk about that myth because that's you get what I'm saying. You get what I'm saying, right. By not doing marketing, by relying and again, traditional automakers not doing much yeah. marketing. There's no, the only information we have is bad information. So yeah, well, we'll talk about but that. let's talk about let's talk about bad information that we just put out, right? Because we just made the comment that you know EVs require less service, so the dealers don't want them. That's not true at all. If you look at the national numbers, which now we have a couple of years to pull real numbers from, the the typical dealership when they sell a new car, one in three of those customers comes back for the free maintenance to the store they bought it from. And that's the free maintenance. It's like one in five actually comes back to the dealer if they have to pay for their own maintenance. But with EVs, these guys aren't taking them to Jiffy Lube to do the tire yeah. rotations or anything like that. 90% of the people who are buying EVs are bringing them back to the dealer for their regular maintenance service yeah. and inspections. So the dealer is actually getting more business and more service business from EVs than they were from internal combustion cars. So it goes completely on the other side of, uh, you know, of the lore. This is just like Star Trek. Trust data, not lore. Well, lore no, it's, it's interesting because you, in the past with combustion cars, you've been able to take it to whomever you wanted. It could be a local mechanic. I, I trust Bob. Bob known Bob for 20 years or, or Jiffy Luber, whoever you're talking about. With EVs, the trusted resource right now is the manufacturers and their dealers. And so you're, if, you're, if you're getting it from Tesla, you can take it to one of the service centers. If you're getting an EV from you know, a, a, brand, a traditional auto brand like you know, GM or, or Ford or Chevy, GM or Ford or Chevy, GM or Ford or you know, Volkswagen, you're going to take it back to where you got it because you're going to say, hey, this is a newer thing. They this built it. a newer thing, right? I think they should know, know better. So you're going to see, I think to your point on those numbers, I think it surprised a lot of people. Um, but to the point of what, that Chris was making about like that, we like let the narrative kind of create itself as a Frankenstein's monster, right? We yes. had a we have a combination of myths that were put out there, or you know, or frankly BS that was put out there by sometimes people with an agenda, and then you have the fans and the early adopters and the enthusiasts that are putting out information to combat that that is trying to refute the myth, but may not be the way that average people will appreciate understanding what they're trying to say. Right. Because they're not professional marketers. They're not professional right. communicators. So and sometimes uh, the information is just it, it, not necessarily wrong, but it's out of date. Like I think that, that too. Yeah. I think two years ago, if you had said, yeah, dealers aren't into the CV thing because you're not going to bring it back to them for service and maintenance. I think that was a legitimate fear. And the numbers, the data just has played the other way that yeah. this is like the best thing that ever happened to them because they're going to sell those tires. They're going to sell you know, those brake jobs, they're going to sell those windshield wipers that they've been losing to the auto zones and pet boys of the world. They're going to gain some of that back. Yeah. So I, it, I think it's going to be good. We're at the beginning of, of something that's going to take a while, but I think that what we're realizing is 
a lot of the stakeholders that have been left, you know, kind of away from the conversation, they're coming up and stepping up and they're going to be more engaged, which is good. But I'm really excited to see, for example, even the advertising coming from automakers is, I mean, there was a, there was a huge, you know, Ford push for advertising during the Olympics for, you know, for Maki and for, I think it was what Chevy Chase was in it, I think. Cause he was in the, yeah. Yeah, he plugs and, the Christmas lights into it. Well, well that was for Super Bowl, And that was again, evidence of you have a nostalgic storyline with this new vehicle, yes. with it, with the heritage brand. And that's what people are going to start kind of, you know, their eyebrows are going to go up a bit. And so that's good. We're starting to see those things and we're just at the beginning, but this whole conversation about myths and what we're trying to refute and show is that there's a lot of information out there that people need to get. That's, that's transparent and honest. And it's going to take some time to, to get through some of the mud of this, what's been out there for a while. So, yeah, but I think once people, you know, I, I know you don't like the term butts and seats, but once someone has their uh. butt in a seat, I think they're going to see that it's real easy to live with these cars today. And uh, let's face it. The fact that you can drag race a Ferrari and a Kia now is uh, pretty awesome. I, I gave, I, I gave a, a ride to uh, my friend and his wife. They're, they're buying a new car and they'd gone and been test driving various EVs. And they said, "Hey, can we swing by and just and just take your car for a spin? Is that cool? Because we just yeah. we just want to get a chance to drive." That's the it Model Three, right? Yeah. And I said, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And so as we're you know you know driving around, my buddy's wife was driving it, and she was just just kind of just driving like you would down a you know neighborhood street, and she had really kind of been the same way driving all the other cars. And she asked, she goes, "Well, are EVs fast?" And my buddy from the back seat goes, "If you floor it, this thing is as fast as a Porsche." He's like, he's like, just do it, you know, and you say it to someone like that. And people think of Porsche, they think fast car. And again, that's, that's where people are going to start making the, the connection for what it means for, oh, wow, this is different. So again, butts and seats, I'm not saying it's not necessary. It's a big part of the conversation. Yeah. I think hands-on, hands-on chargers, hands-on plugs is going to be the real one. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's going to help people see the other part that they need to trust. And these myths will start falling over time. Um, so we'll see. I think yeah. that, that, that we're still at the beginning. So. so speaking of myths that have fallen over time, let's go through just the ones that I've lived through already. So airbags are worse for you than not having airbags because they can burn you and hit you. Uh, yeah. You don't want to wear seatbelts in your car because you want to be thrown free. Uh, you don't want crumple zones in your car because you want to be able to power through the other guy. And uh, cars are always going to be slow and terrible because leaded gas is what made them fast. And that's just the ones I've lived through. I'm sure there's more, right? Well, there's, there's oh, definitely more. Yeah. Cell phones are uh, cell phones are going to cause testicular cancer. And uh, oh, what was my favorite one? Smoking is actually good for you. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm sure <laughs> that was Don, a little I, before my time, but it was yeah, a, that, was a, that was a Don Draper moment. I don't, I don't know if that was if you were around for that. Yeah, three out of four doctors recommend this brand. Kind of. Yeah, thing. this is this is really good for your T zone. <laughs> Well, and this, right. This is the thing is, is we're, you know, again, another, you know, like the myth of, you know, we talked about the beginning about like, oh, these things aren't as clean. You know, how do you get, how do you get the batteries and how do you get the minerals to the batteries and oh, all those t- types of comments. I think the beauty of what is an electric car or any electric vehicle for that matter is you effectively have a closed carbon loop is yes. once you mine the materials, you make a battery and you, and you have a vehicle that runs on that there is opportunity to then recycle all of that material and reuse up to about 90 to 95% of it. And that yeah. means if we've created enough batteries, there's a position where we can reduce the amount of impact we have on the environment for mining. So there's a, there's a lot of things considered. Yeah. BMW and Volvo are, have both done that. And they're actually using a, a transparent blockchain that they're hosting on IBM 
So it's mm -hmm. public. Anybody with that kind of knowledge can go in and see what's going on to track their, uh, you know, some of their rare earths, the tungsten and the lithium. Mm -hmm. And BMW just did its first round of a completely closed loop for yeah. the, the first I3s and I8s, which is like, I mean, that was a five, six year project that finally came to fruition and kind of proved the point of like, you can recycle all of this. Honestly, the cool thing is, I swear, we talk about, you know, carbon capture all the time. And, you know, even, even Musk was like, whoever comes up with the best carbon capture solution should get X amount of dollars. And someone put up a picture of a tree and was like, <laughs> like yeah, here, here, how much money do I get, Elon? You know, and it may be yeah. Elon, I may, I may be mistaking that, but, um, but at the same time, batteries can be looked at the same way. It's like, yeah, like I'm a great carbon capture tools. Once I've got all this stuff in here, it's so long as that electricity is being produced through that mix that we talked about, and we're reducing the amount of what we're burning for dirty fuels and using renewables, we do have a way to say this is one of the best ways to ensure that carbon isn't getting out into the atmosphere because that's the biggest thing and the biggest challenge we have right now. And EVs are a very, very good part of the solution for that. So I think you're right. All right. I think we're good there. Now we are about a month away from the first live show and that's going to be in orange County. So uh, keep an eye out for that. And I think one of the things that we'll want to bring up is uh, electrify expo is doing a uh, giveaway contest where they're going to fly you and a friend out to Miami and put you in a fancy hotel on Miami beach and bring you to the show. All right, guys, I'm heading out. Peace be with you. Oh, wait, hold on. Jeff Goldblum. Jeff okay. Goldblum. Okay. <laughs> the Electrify Expo is coming to California in 2021. Forecasted to be the largest e-mobility festival in the USA, learn how you can attend or get involved by visiting electrifyexpo.com. Be sure to find out more information about Electrify Expo on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn to get information on all things e-mobility. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Electrify podcast brought to you by the creators of Electrify Expo. Be sure to catch full video episodes on YouTube at Electrify TV and follow along on social media for daily clips and more.